And that is the message of the scriptures, that that God has a a message, and that message that he wants to communicate that he has a love for all of mankind. And we're going to see that illustrated in the the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. So before we do that, uh, let's look to the author of this book and ask him to make our hearts and minds alert to his truth. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for just the privilege of being in a place where we can study God's word and uh, hear truth from um, the author of uh, the universe, and we pray as you use human instruments to deliver the message that we might understand it in, uh, in the setting in which it was said so that we might so um, clearly apply it in the, in the setting that we now live. Father, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see, and we ask this in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, this morning's uh, message title is See Faith in Action. It really is an ongoing theme throughout the the book of James. James is, as we've said before, is really the Proverbs of the, of the Old Testament in that it really puts it down where we can really avidly uh, pick it up and say, this, is, this must be what God wants me to do. Uh, in fact, in many ways, uh, the, the book of James can be summarized that there are three, three signposts for every true follower of Jesus Christ. He wants us to have a compassionate heart, a controlled tongue, and a clean life. And if we live that way, then we'll demonstrate that Christ has made a difference in who we are. And in many ways, James, who knew Jesus probably better than just about anybody because he grew up with Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He had the same mother, but he didn't have the miraculous birth of uh, the Trinitarian God. Uh, and so he saw Jesus just like we would see, see Jesus if we had somehow known him in his early days. He was a, a man of, a, of, of, of great... Um, presence. You would see him as a person that, that you would admire and maybe want to be like, but you'd probably stop short thinking he was God because that was beyond what you could even imagine. And, and James, as he saw Jesus, and I'm sure he oftentimes, and maybe not in his brother's presence, was bragging about Jesus, but when he was around others, he might have maybe taken a step back. But when he began to make claims of being uh, Yahweh, uh, the I Am, God in the flesh, you've seen God, you've seen me, I and the Father are one. He began to probably wonder, well, what's going on here? Has my brother gone mad? In fact, that's exactly what the family said. And then as, as we understand that he really didn't see Jesus through the eyes of faith until he had the, the heart of faith. And no longer looked at Jesus simply in the flesh, but now he saw him who he really was. He was the, the God, the Son, manifest here on earth. And as he came to, into a relationship with Christ by faith, his, his, um, his one he had known for so long, he, sound, he now saw him as Lord and Savior. And God brought him into ministry, and, and he had a ministry particularly to his own ethnic people. And as people came to faith in, in Jesus, and, and we need to always remember that initially uh, everyone who was Jewish made up the church. There were really no Gentiles in the beginning that came to faith. Uh, but they had some baggage. They had a lot that was to their advantage, but they also had some baggage. And part of that baggage is their, their misunderstanding taught to them by the rabbis uh, about what it meant to really live a life of, of faith. And, and so they, they, were, they were inundated with it's all about the do's and don'ts. It's all about the rules. It's all about the laws, 613 laws of the Old Testament, and then all the laws they added. And so in many ways, it was such a fresh experience of, of really knowing that what God had done in the Old Testament is truly what he wants to do in every period of time. He wants people to simply trust him. 
And really, isn't that how, how you want people to come in a relationship with you? You want to come in a relationship with you that, that people trust you. I mean, you usually don't hand people the top 10 things you've got to do if you're going to be my friend, right? You say, just, just trust me. Okay. Now, when these Jewish people came to faith, what happened is they, they had the pendulum go way over here. And, and they thought, well, now I don't have to do anything. And, and they missed the point. Because trusting means you're going to be faithful in that relationship. And so James speaks into them, and he speaks into us as well, and says, I want you to understand that, that true faith has works, which simply means it demonstrates itself, just like a true friendship demonstrates itself. You can say, I'm a friend to somebody, but if your life doesn't show it, those are just idle words, right? And so we are now at a passage in which we're going to see this lived out. And we're going to look back on the Old Testament to see how God wants us to live now in this New Testament area of a time where we, we know Jesus much more fully and God's plan more fully. And so we look at this this morning, uh, two examples of faith, a woman and a man. We'll begin with a man first. Seeing examples of, of faith, uh, first looking at the man of faith, and that man of faith is going to be Abraham, and then we'll look at the woman of faith who's going to be Rahab. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 2, beginning with verse uh, 21. If you want to back up to verse 20, he concludes another section which we've already looked at. He says, but, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now, usually you, you don't try to somehow put down your audience before you speak to them, but it's <laughs> kind of what James said. You foolish people out there, unless you, if you miss this, that's exactly who you are. You're just fools. Because your faith has to, has to be real and it has to show itself. And then he says, in case you don't quite get it, just for me, let me give an example which you all, particularly from a Jewish perspective, would, would put up on a pedestal. You'd begin with Abraham. And we were talking about in the first service with Vacation Bible School, a, a favorite song of Vacation Bible School is Father Abraham. Father Abraham, many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And then it goes on, on, and on, and on, if you've ever been there. All right. Well, he says, well, let's talk about Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? And you think, well, that's not what Paul told us. He said we're justified by faith. But see, again, we've talked about this. We're not talking about the beginning of a relationship with God. We're talking about the proof of a relationship with God. You see that faith was working with his words. It was a working faith that demonstrated itself in works or, or evidence of, that it was real. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Our, our faith is demonstrated, and, it's, it, and the word perfected there, it really means coming to its intended end. When, when you do anything, there's a, there's, a, there, there's a result in your mind. Isn't that true? I mean, this is coming just off the top of my head. You know, if, if, you, if you're going to try to put some, ele- uh, some things together that's supposed to make a cake, Right? You put all this stuff that doesn't look like it's going to be a cake. You know, you got flour in there. You got milk and eggs and whatever. It's all for the purpose of it coming out a certain way, right? And then you say, all that effort, all that I did had a result. And that's what he's saying here. Perfection isn't the idea that it was the perfect cake, but it came to its completed end. And the completed end is that your faith demonstrates in the result of a changed life. Make, Make sense? Nod your head like you're still with me, all right? So he goes on and says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the 
Stop there for a moment. You know, there's a, have you all had people call you all kinds of things? Maybe nicknames. Maybe if they're mad at you, they called you something. And, and if you're, you didn't do something, your parent always called you by your full name, right? Your, every, every middle name you had, and if you had numbers at the end of your name, you, you know, everything was given out there, right? Well, you know, what would you like God to call you? This is a pretty good name, nickname here. But what was Abraham known as? He was called the friend of God. Uh, you can know a lot about, about a person by just knowing who his friends are, right? Or who her friends are. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty high on my uh, resume uh, if I could say, well, I just want to let you know God's my friend, all right? I mean, this is, pr- this is pretty important, right? And you, if, if I were to say that, particularly if I would put an adjective, you know, like he's, he, he's my close friend. Now, I mean, I mean we, we really have a, you know, an unbelievable relationship. Now, I'm sure none of us are skeptics here, right? But if you had a little bit of skepticism in your mind, you might want to say, can you, can you prove it, right? Can, can, can you, I mean, you can, it's easy to say that, but can you somehow demonstrate that he, you have that closer relationship with God? And, and so this is what we're going to quickly look at this morning. How do we know that he has that kind of relationship? Well, first of all, any relationship begins at the beginning. beginning. Thank you. You saved me out there. Every relationship has a beginning, right? And, and so he actually, in this section here, it was interesting, he he begins at the beginning, at the end. He actually talks about the ongoing relationship in the first few verses. And then he says in verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's the beginning. And really he was saying the reason we believe that actually happened is because what happened after that. Now, um, I'm actually preaching this a lot different than I did this <laughs> in the first service. But I want to tell you two things about his faith. Number one, Abraham was reckoned as righteousness. And then secondly, Abraham was shown as righteous. He was reckoned as righteous, and then he was shown to be righteous. Now, he was reckoned to be righteous in Genesis chapter 15, in verses 1 through 6. And it's, uh, the background there is fascinating in so many different ways. God's uh, movement of Abraham into relationship begins in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, he has a, a variety of experiences with God. And he has some that are discouraging, some that are, you know, just high on the mountain type experiences. And then Genesis chapter 15 begins, and he's saying, you know, God, um, I don't know about this, but it doesn't seem like your plan is working out because I don't have, you know, if I'm going to be the father of nations and all this is going to work out, I need to have a child, I don't have a child, whatever I'm going to inherit, I, I better have plan B because plan A is not working. And plan B is, can you give it to my servant, Eliezer? And God says, look up in the sky, see all the stars in the sky. You truly are going to be Father Abraham because all those stars are going to be like your descendants. It's not coming through Eliezer. And then verse 6, which is in verse 23 in James chapter 2, says, And Abraham believed God. Now, whenever belief is a true faith, at that moment, God puts something into your account. And what he puts into your account, or Abraham's account, he says, not, not, we normally think this side of the cross that what, what we need is forgiveness, and we do need forgiveness. We've got to get the bad stuff erased, right? All of our sin has to be covered and thrown in the deepest sea 
thrown as far as the east is from the west, all that. But if that's all that happened, there'd be a vacuum there, right? You'd have a bunch of nothingness. He says, I'm not going to deal with your sin. I'm going I'm to put an empty account, and I'm going to put all the righteousness of God in it. It's like I have a checking account that has zero in it, and all of a sudden God puts all his funds in it, and you have unlimited resources to purchase anything you need in this life. And what he's saying here, at that point, Abraham's relationship, this friendship of God, began at a point where he believed God. He said, God, I believe what I cannot fully understand, what I cannot see. The Bible says without, that without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He had not seen how, how a childless father could be a descendant of all the stars and the heavens that he could see, and that would be his descendants from his lineage. But he knew whom he was trusted, and he knew whom he was trusting in. He didn't have to know all the hows. So that was the point. That's when he was reckoned as righteous. God put his righteousness into his account. And God knows when our faith is real and true. But he wants us to know that it's real and true as well. So our faith needs to be shown. And so from Genesis 15 ongoing, you you see um, this worked out. And Abraham, even though he's a friend of God, he, he didn't always do it right. And in fact, just chapter 16, you see him with Sarah's help trying to figure out, well, uh, we're not doing too well. There's, there's, no, there's no child on the way. Maybe you ought to go into to my, my Hagar, my, my maidservant. And another child is birthed, Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not the plan. And other times, Abraham is, is wrestling with his faith and the dangers around him, and he, he lies about his relationship with his wife. Well, she's not really my wife. She's kind of my, my, like my sister. But Abraham's faith grows, and then his faith is tested beyond measure. And, and the idea behind this is our faith are, is always tested. It's always being tested. Sometimes when you ask the question why, the answer to that is your faith is being tested. And tested in a good way because God wants your faith to be shown to yourself and to those watching. And I'm glad God never tested me with the test he gave Abraham. But he gives to Abraham the supreme test. And in fact, it's the test, like so much of the Old Testament, that mirrors what Jesus is all about. When Isaac is around 15 or so, Abraham's up in his years. He's in his hundreds, maybe 115. You can go around. I could do the math. But there's anywhere between 115 125, what some authors look at. I would think 115. And he says, okay, well, I want you to do something. I want you to take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. And and I want to see if you love him more than you love me. I want you to take him up to a a mountaintop, and I I want you to sacrifice him to me. And at that point, Abraham knew who he was trusting in, but he knew not what God would do. He just knew what God was capable of doing. In the New Testament, it says that he knew that Abraham could, that, that God could take Isaac, his only son, the son whom he loved, and raise him from the dead. He knew he could give him a substitute sacrifice, but he didn't know what he was going to do. But he knew he could trust God. And so he took him on the hill, and right before the blade came into the heart of Isaac, God stopped him and provided a substitute. 
And see, that's, that's the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is that, that we needed God's substitute. We needed the Son of God to, to be sent on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But at that point, what, what James is referring to, we know Abraham's faith was not just superficial. Uh, you know, you know, God and I are buddies. The man upstairs, I know him really well. How, you know, a lot of athletes talk like that. I don't know about you, but sometimes, I hate to admit this sin in church, but I'm skeptical at times. Sometimes when people talk about God that way, I'm wondering, do you really know this person you talk about so flippantly? Now, they might. I, you know, I'm not their judge, but it, there's some doubt there. But there's no doubt about Abraham. Abraham knew God because God was all to him. And see, that, that's what God wants us to look at in our life. Does God have, have avenue into our lives in terms of you know, our finances, how we use our time, our priorities, how we treat people, what we're really concerned about, our desires to, to, to know him and know him deeply and to make him known to others? Does it change how we view sexuality? Does it change how we look at ethics and laws and, and what's really important in life? That's what he's saying here. So what, what is a man of faith? A man of faith is a, is a person who's declared to be righteous and then his righteousness is shown to others. Not perfectly, but powerfully. The faith that does not change my life will not save my soul. But that's looking at a woman of faith. There's another gender that we ought to look at. A, uh, I manifest this looking at a woman of faith. And, and, and here's what he says about a, a woman of faith, verse 25 and 26, and we'll kind of fill in some blanks here. He says, In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead, because it's not real. And so now he uses Rahab as an example, and if you've gone through Joshua, if you're not, I'd encourage you this week to at least read Joshua chapter 2. You see now Rahab set up as an example of faith, faith in action. And basically we want to look at two things here. If we looked at Abraham and said his faith was declared, his faith was sufficient to declare him righteous, and, to be, and then secondly to be shown as righteous. In Rahab, a couple things you could glean from there is Rahab is shown to be a person who's not necessarily a good prospect you know, for faith. But we're going to see so evidently, he, she sure was a good pattern of faith. And she illustrates so simply what faith really is. And what faith is, is really come to that point where you believe God enough to obey God. And, and so, why was she not necessarily a good prospect for faith? Well, look at all the things she had going against her. Okay, and, and there's some ways we can look. If you just make a comparison between Abraham and Rahab, you see there's a lot of a lot of variance there. Rahab was a friend of God, and Rahab, when we see her, is an enemy of God. Her entire uh, city is going to be wiped out. You look at Abraham, he had a lot going for it. He was a rather rich man. Um, Rahab was probably pretty poor. On a, on a social standing, Abraham was pretty high up there. You know, Rahab didn't have a whole lot going for it. You can look at all kinds of things. But, but let's look at some very specific things. You, you look at them ethnically or nationally. She, she was a Gentile. Now, in that day, God was uniquely working through Abraham, and even more so in the days to come. 
And in the days of Moses, you, you have God's covenant people being the light to the nations to draw people to, them, to himself. And, and you say, well, she's not a very good prospect because she's not Jewish. You know? and, and maybe you have some Jewish friends, and it's so funny to me, it's now the opposite. You, you, my Jewish friends, when I talked to them, I said, have you ever thought about becoming a Christian? I said, well, I can't become a Christian. Well, why? Because I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm a Jew. But maybe, maybe on our end, we, we think that some way. Are, are there some people ethnically that you have a hard time even envisioning becoming a Christian? Maybe, maybe they're somehow a member of ISIS. Maybe they're a North Korean. Uh, you can look at certain hot spots and say, well, I don't think those people could ever come to faith. Why? Because of their ethnic background. Well, that's who Rahab was. She was a Canaanite. Nothing good came out of Canaan. And yet God dropped down and touched her life. She wasn't a good prospect of faith, but she ended up being a pretty good product of faith. But uh, let's look on. She was also a woman. Now, you know, really the Bible gets kind of a bad rap here. You know, people look at Paul as being a chauvinist and all kinds of things. God has always looked at men and women as being equal you know, spiritually. But in those days, you know, women was, was more used than, and abused than elevated to places of stature. And so that's not our struggle today as far as, well, a woman can't come to faith in Christ, but do we have some other people that we would have struggle with? Not a good prospect? How about someone in the, in the membership of LGBT? You know, a lesbian, someone who's gay, someone who affirms bisexuality or a transgender. Now, the Bible's clear about what sin is, but, but a person in that lifestyle might not be a good prospect, but God loves them. And just like God was able to reach down and touch Rahab, God can touch anybody of any, of any approach to identity. And, and that's the issue. That's a lifestyle. It's an identity. That's how they see themselves. But God can reach them. She was also a novice, and I, I didn't know how else to put this. You could say she was uninformed, she was ignorant. Sometimes we think people can't come to know Jesus because they don't know anything. Well, you know, no one knows anything until they know something, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, until we've been exposed to something, we're all ignorant. And, and you, look at, you, you look at Abraham. Now, Abraham, you know, obviously he, he, he wasn't always a follower of Yahweh. He became a follower of Yahweh. And it's interesting, uh, you know, Genesis 15 is the description when he came to faith. I mean, in Genesis 12, he took steps of faith. He took, went from his, his land where he was to go to another land. And so sometimes it's hard to even know what, what really, when did he cross that line of where he came into relationship with God. But initially, he didn't know a whole lot. But it appears, if you take Genesis 15 to his point of conversion, that he, he got led a little bit at a time. How quickly was it was with um, Rahab? It was like instantaneous. And much of what she, she got conviction from was, was secondhand. I, boy, I, I see things that you're doing across, and God's powerful and mighty, and I, I hear these stories, and all I do is compare what I, what I believe and, I, and what I've seen about the gods that people talk to me, and your God is the God. And so as we, as we interact with people in our Oikos relational world, and and we look at some people we don't see are very good prospects. 
And we say, well, they just don't know anything about Jesus. They never went to a vacation Bible school. And there are a lot of people now who, you know, we were all raised, our generations in this particular um, service, most people have been around the Jesus thing in America. But more and more people in America are not around the Jesus thing, if you know what I'm saying. They haven't heard the stories. They haven't sang the songs. They don't know Father Abraham. They don't know Jesus loves me. And some of you who work with Good News Clubs have had that experience. They don't know what people used to know. But does that make them an, an unreachable group of people? No. Because Rahab, Rahab just knew a little. But God used that little seed to draw to her faith. She's also a pagan. Now, I use it. we don't use the word pagan very often, but basically a pagan, in God's eyes, is anyone who's following a, a false religion, okay? And uh, you, we might think of people who, who are people who are not very good prospects. Maybe they're Hindus. Maybe they're Buddhists. Maybe they're in some kind of a, a cult, a Mormonism or Jehovah Witness or whatever it might be, or, or, or someone um, that is in some radical group. But can God touch them? Of course they can Maybe we're thinking, maybe they're in a sect called atheism or agnosticism. And the difference between agnosticism and atheism is agnosticism is a little bit more intellectual than atheism because no person can disprove God. An agnostic says, well, I can't say there is God or not, but I don't think there's enough evidence. At least they're more intellectually viable. But can God touch a person who denies even the existence of God? Of course he can. So Rahab is, is an illustration of this. Uh, how about her lifestyle? She, she was a prostitute. And, and maybe there are people we know, people who are involved in certain sins that we're saying, how, how could God touch them? Probably the worst. You know, if you really, we, we talk about every sin is equal in terms of guilt, but not every sin is equal in terms of consequences. Because sometimes our sin can touch more lives or more permanently. You know, when, when a person murders somebody, that's, that life is gone. But can God rescue a murderer? He rescued David. Today's probably most hated lifestyle is being a pedophile, somehow messing with children. But can God touch a pedophile? And would we be willing to love a pedophile to Christ? Or, or take the one, and this is, uh, if we have time, uh, well, I'm going to make the time, but uh, you know, th- the thing that most people ask about Rahab, well, how could God bless Rahab? Because she was a, the L word here, she was a liar. How can, how can God bless a liar? Because that's, that's the antithesis from the truth, right? If you're a liar, you, you, you kind of mess with the truth. And, and does, God, does God touch liars? That's right. What would I put in the fill in blank? You know, could God touch a politician? <laughs> you know, I was looking over at Warren. Could, could Todd touch a lawyer? No. You know, you know, you know what, what, whatever, whatever you want to say, you know, can, can God touch... Anybody? Of course he can. And Rahab is an example. She wasn't a good prospect, but she was a good pattern. Because she took what she knew about God and what she truly believed about God. And the reason we know she believed about God and just didn't tell a good story when the spies got into her home is because she did something that pleased God. She protected God's people at her own risk. She protected God's people, at least immediate risk and even when they the officials came to her setting uh, she uh, her life was at, in their hands if somehow they discovered she wasn't telling the truth and so she was a good pattern of faith 
Because you believe God when you obey God. And Hebrews 11, I won't read the passage, it's in your, in your notes right there, is that basically the contrast is that Rahab got rescued because she wasn't like the rest of her city who were disobedient, but she was obedient because she took what she knew about the true God, and you have to be putting what is, you believe about the true God, not there's the false gods out there, and then obeyed God by, by having it lived out. And that's what, that's what James is pleading with his, his people and us as well, is that, look, at faith is simple. It's putting your trust in the true and living God. But that trust means that you want to follow him as best you can. Not perfectly, but powerfully. And God comes through when we believe him and obey him. That's true faith. Whether you look at Abraham or whether you look at Rahab. Now, turning over real quickly, many people ask me, well, how, how do I wrap my, ramp, my mind around and heart around God apparently rewarding someone who lied, right? Rahab lied. And if you read Joshua, uh, there's no way. You know, some people try to spin it. Well, maybe it wasn't a real lie. You, it's, I don't, every spin I read didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Okay? So how, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, let me, let me give you six points and then end with a seventh. All right? First of all, we always see when we go to God's Word, what's the main point? We sometimes go down a rabbit trail, which is fine to kind of think about, but what is the point in this passage? The point of the passage is this. God rewards acts of faith. He does not reward people for their sins. Instead, He rewards people in spite of their sins. So when we question, well, how could God reward um, Rahab, uh, you know, because she lied, well, you're missing the point, or I'm missing the point. She, he was, she wasn't being rewarded because she lied. She was being rewarded because she acted in faith. Now you're saying, but she acted in faith in the wrong way. Well, that's okay. We could argue, we could, we could discuss that. But the issue was she acted in faith. And that's why she's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So, and then, it, and, and then understand it's in spite of our sins rather than, uh, rather than for our sins, just just puts it in perspective. Do we ever trust God completely without a little bit tinge on the side? None of us are ever perfect. But when we act in faith, God still uses that, right? That's the point here. When you act in faith, God will honor that. And you might teach lessons later on about how to live, but right now he's looking at, are you going to trust him by acting out in faith? And in Romans 6, it talks about that where sin abounds, grace does abound even more. Number two, an act of faith flows from what you are convinced is true about God and His will. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting passage in Romans chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, when it says, whatever is, whatever is not of faith is sin. And if you doubt, then don't do what you're doubting about. And I would take that in a larger scope, simply say this. Look, when you're in a situation, you go, I'm not even sure how to, there, there, this is so convoluted. There's so much complexity in what's gone wrong here. I don't know what's the right thing to do. Well, pray about it and do what best you can out of your faith. And you, get, you have to maybe wrestle your faith, it's not just feelings. Well, I feel good about this or I feel good about that. You wrestle with it and do as much as you can out what you believe most about God's will at that moment. That makes it. You understand the point? Okay, when you're struggling, you pray about it and you do it as best you can with as little doubt as possible and make a, make a choice. Thirdly, 
God knows the difference between rationalizing behavior and acting out of ignorance. Uh, here, here's, the, here's the qualifying point of this. Now, don't play games with God and say, well, I thought that was okay. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they saw someone rewarded by giving their whole property to the movement of God, and they said, well, we want that kind of a credit, and so they sold some property, kept some of it, and said, we sold everything and gave it to God. Well, they knew what they did. They lied to God and to other people about what they did, and God knew what they did. Fourthly, this one we could spend more time on, all deception is not bearing false witness or lying as in a military battle or an athletic event. Sometimes when we talk about deceiving, that's not always necessarily a lie from the perspective of, of something ethical or moral. For instance, in Joshua 8, the Lord, and this is the Lord caused Israel to fight a nation. He said, take your army out here, and while they think you're out here, put the army on the other side as well, and they're going to come in and overcome them. Now, that was deception. Is that a falsehood? I don't think in terms of a battle, it would be like playing a sport where you see you couldn't make a fake to do something else, like basketball. You fake an outside shot, and then you dribble around and make a layup. Well, is that an ethical wrong? Because I thought you, you just lied to me because I thought you were going to do this, and you did that. I mean, sometimes we, we get in these moral dilemmas, and they're not even moral dilemmas. I mean, there's a, there's, it's a physical battle, and there's a sporting event, and it doesn't mean you can't joke with people. I could add that as well. It doesn't mean you can't kid around and that kind of stuff, that in social engagements. That's, that's, that's getting so spiritual, it's just weird, all right? Now, now, I would say this, that there is issues in terms of covert activity in the military perspective or on a, a police action. You know, that has some issues where maybe there's some, some gray area there as well. But, but at that point, most of us are not in those situations at all, right? You know, we're not doing those things in terms of military battle or or a police action. Number five, do not be hypocritical and pursue first, do not be hypocritical, I probably should say, but pursue first the weightier parts of God's will. Sometimes we can be people who will be like uh, the proverbial religious fanatic who's saying, well, how many angels can sit on the top of a pen, right? Have you ever heard that one? You know, how many things, you know, can God, can God create a rock so heavy he can't pick it up? Have you ever heard people talk about that? Can, he, can God create a, 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 a round square? Have you ever heard those people talk? Nod your heads like you've heard that at least once, okay? You know, look at, come on, let's, let's get real here, all right? It's, there's enough clear things in this book that that ought to be what we ought to emphasize. And then when he's dealing with the Pharisees, they were talking about how much they ought to tie the mint and some of the little small particles, and, and he said, look. You know, you ought to do that, but don't miss out the big things that God want, wants you to do. And, and these are just things that surround wrestling with some of these ethical dilemmas. Number six, we need to realize this. God cannot lie. So when we look at it, the person who ultimately is the, the personification of truth is God. He cannot lie. He is the truth. So what does that mean for us? Here's, here's the practical point. The standard is to always tell the truth and not lie. So if you ask me, what, it, what should you do? You should always tell the truth and not lie. Are there exceptions? It, possibly. But the emphasis is, the standard is, always tell the truth and not lie. Are there exceptions? It's possible. And if you do something out of an act of faith, 
I'm not going to be your judge. God rewards acts of faith. So I, I don't need to be the moral cop here at times. When some people are in a moral dilemma, if you're in a, in a military operation or a, or a police action or, or something like that. But I would say this, is that we need to, as people, be people who lift up the truth. And so how do we do that practically? Here's, here's a couple things. However, one is not obligated to tell all he or she knows. Withholding information or even giving general responses is not necessarily falsehood. Obviously, even our, in our, our judicial system, people can take the what amendment? The, the Fifth Amendment. And sometimes we need to do that. Don't say anything, all right? And it's because it, it, Jesus did that. I mean, Jesus, when he was before the trial and he gave him all kinds of accusations, he remained what? Silence. You don't have to answer every question people ask you. You know, someone, you know, of the female variety asks, you think I look heavy in this dress? What should you do? Don't say anything, all right? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you don't have to answer every question, right? And you can give general response, I really like the color. I, I don't care what it is. You don't have to, you don't have to answer it. And if they push you, to, you say, I'm, I refuse <laughs> I'm to give you, I mean, yeah, push yourself to the truth. Just push yourself to the truth. And so, and you look at Rahab, the dilemma is not ours, it's God's. But I think we can understand what God did. He rewarded her act of faith. It wasn't, he, it, he, he was dividing, he wasn't dealing with the issue of whether she did it with telling a falsehood. Because at that point, all she did was the best she could do in terms of responding to what she knew about God and responded by trying to do what she thought pleased him, and God rewarded that. Now, the more that we know, the more we are responsible for what we do know. But above all, the weightier part of the, of the, of the law of God or the will of God is when you act, when I act, am I doing it in response to what I know about God? Is it an act of faith where I'm trusting him? Am I trying to please him and let him decide what he's going to do with what I do when that's the heart direction of my life? So what's the, what, what's the takeaway? I, I just spent, you know, seven points on, a, on a, a, a freebie here. God wants us to have a certain type of faith. And the type of faith he wants us to have is a faith that's real and genuine. And it works out in so many different ways, but it's a faith that shows if it's a faith that saves. And part of that is even just looking at people as, as maybe people who aren't great prospects of faith, but look at them like God looks at them. I don't care what nationality they have. I don't care what kind of world religion they've come from or in. I don't care what kind of lifestyle that they're participating in. I don't care what kind of things they have in the past said about God or did with God or ignored God. They are, they are a person that God can touch. And I know my responsibility is to love them into the faith and let God do his work in, in whatever way he sees fit. But I want to trust him by demonstrating my faith in the most obvious ways that show I know him. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we uh, are the people of God that we might live out this in ways that people can see us as followers of Jesus. Never perfectly, but powerfully. 
in ways that will please you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this.